I am a queer brown person and I have no business even touching this realm of classical music. And yet I've taken what I've learned and I have created me. Hello and welcome to Underscore, where we explore the innovative music of artists who create beyond the boundaries of classical. I'm Thomas. I'm Chrysanthi, and this is the classically trained, but genre omnivorous, musical world we live in that we want to share with you. Each week, a new guest pulls us into their orbit to explore the creative process, their music, and their story. We dig into their inspirations, their habits, and how they function as artists living in the 21st century. Then, at the very end, Chrysanthi and I leave you with our old, new, borrowed blues song obsessions. You'll want to stick around today if you want to hear which song Chrysanthi wrote about in her college admission essay. Okay, this is the part where we're supposed to introduce you to our guest, but I don't even know how to do him justice. Singer-songwriter, storyteller, artist Dorian Wood is one of the most compelling performers I've seen in my entire life. And I don't say that lightly because I've seen a zillion performers. Spanish music magazine Mondo Sonoro says his concerts are like a meteor shower and the four elements. Rolling Stone calls him transcendental and unclassifiable, but if we had to classify Dorian's music, we'd say it's a mixture of theatrical experimental, folk, gospel soul, and classical music with a large dash of performance art. His grandfather was a famous classical pianist, and Dorian was also trained in piano, later going on to a conservatory for music and theater and transitioning into experimental work. Here's another thing, and this is important. Dorian is bold. He's outspoken, passionate, and proud about his heritage, body, and personhood. The queer Latino Echo Park native born to Costa Rican and Nicaraguan parents sings in both English and Spanish. In fact, his last album is entirely in Spanish, and many of his videos are deeply sensual and emotional, featuring his dancing, naked form, which he calls a curvy, delicious body, and big brown vessel that serves to carry him and protect him from obliteration. Yes, we're not holding back today. We are in the, for the full Dorian Wood experience as we discuss his most powerful works, his compositional process, explicit music videos. We're even going to hear him perform live in the studio just for you. While we welcome in Dorian Wood, we are listening to his new song, Corpulencia. Dorian. Hi. We're so happy to have you, and we've just been listening to your very powerful song, Corpulencia, from your new album, which has an, a stunning emotional music video to go with yes. it. Tell us a little bit about that, or the video or song. Well, the song came about when I... Um, I'm sorry, I'm still trying to reel from that amazing introduction you guys gave me. <laughs> we try and sum it up as best as possible. I'm like, how seconds. can I possibly compete with that amazing introduction that just summed everything up so uh, cohesively and intelligently and certainly um, more eloquent than I could ever sum up myself? Um, so thank you uh, for that. <laughs> um, We're big fans. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so, so Corpulencia, well, the, the, the title of the song uh, came from uh, a friend who was, uh, in an attempt to be his very, you know, natural, kind self, tried to negate when uh, my own description of my body as being fat. He's like, no, no, you're not fat, you're corpulent. And I thought that was very, very sweet of him to have that intention of, you know, wanting to derail me from any potential self-deprecation when in fact I was just telling him, no, the correct term is fat and I'm fine with that and there's nothing negative about it. But I did, you know, I did just take that word and just chew it around my mind for a while and it is a very pretty word. Uh, so that was, you know, the catalyst for the song was the title itself. And then from that point on, uh, it just it, it started veering into a direction where we consider things like love and lust as traits that are impure and that sometimes, you know, if we have offspring, you know, we we pass along that impurity to them. And it's such a shame when you have things that, you know, come from a very true and good place in in the soul uh, to ever treat that as, as you know, impure, as dirty, as infectious. Um, I just, could, I could never understand that. So the, the song itself poses questions uh, to nature, to these elements. Uh, does the soul carry the impurity from body to body? Does the blood carry the impurity from body to body? And and what is an impurity? And like, what have we as society defined as impure? And the ultimate goal, you know, to have no suffering and no regret is something I feel we all try to attain. And it becomes less of a goal and more of a yearning in the uh, the framework of this song because of that. And it just looked really cool being scrawled on the wall as I'm, you know, as I'm just jumping around backwards, you know, half naked. Um, so there's that, too. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. If you're listening, we're all the video will be in the show notes. You must watch this music video. Yeah, my question pertains to that. Like, obviously, you release albums like a normal musician would. But so much of your visual art and your performance art lives through also the videos itself. How would you want your audience to take in these pieces you create? As often as possible. <laughs> I feel that. I, I, and, I, and I say that because, you know, we live in an era where to make a living off of music is damn near impossible for most people. Right. And I feel that if I can create work that does come from me very naturally, uh, that can be viewed, that can be downloaded, that can be streamed as many times as possible, then... You know, there is hope for me to pay rent next month. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, of course, that's not the sole purpose for creating. I, you know, I do always want to uh, make sure that whatever audience is exposed to my work is not a specific, it's not a niche audience. It's not an elitist audience. It's not an overly popular audience. I mean, I guess I would say maybe actually even popular. I think everyone has uh, <laughs> the capacity to feel and to accept works that have lots of raw emotional themes. And that is certainly what I just really have no problem putting into everything that I do um, for whatever reason. So I feel that there's 
there's just a possibility for anyone to really get something out of what I do. And I don't, I try not to say that and, you know, in a very to my own horn type of way, but I, 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 you know, as a lover of popular music myself, I find the influence and I find the joy in things that not only bring me joy, but, you know, can also bring me joy in a room filled with other people who also are feeling and accepting the same thing. And if I could achieve even like the remotest aspect of that with my own work, that to me is a blessing. Have visual art and music always been this tied for you? Have you always made videos? Have you always put an emphasis on the visual performance aspect of your music? It took me a long time, uh, I will say, to associate directly anything that I did creatively with what I looked like physically. I always felt as a kid and even in my early adulthood that the things I was creating were were of uh, of another type of body, of another type of race. There was always a very self-deprecating um, relationship that I had with what I did creatively. I looked in the mirror and I didn't see the work that I had created, that I had put out there. I I never saw how those two married, and that was such a conflict for me for the longest time until one day I decided that I wouldn't let it be a conflict anymore. It, it involved a lot of uh, interacting with people, putting a lot of trust in friends and family, and feeling that it is all, you know, it is all part of the same big brown vessel that I that I so proudly uh, tout right now. Uh, but it did take me a long time to get to this point. And that, I feel, is a very huge component of the visual that I put out there. And from that point on, you know, I've been drawing pictures since I was a little kid. From the moment that I decided to include my physical self into the mix, that's when the visual aspects started really blossoming in a way that I never ever could foresee. And that was frightening in the beginning, but then when I was able to embrace that, there was this whole other garage door opening of you know leading into this universe that I never knew existed, never knew it would be possible, that I didn't have to be another race, I didn't have to lose weight to feel this self-realized and consistently inspired, so it's, that, I would say, is where the tight marriage between music and visual is right now because of that journey that I took. Wow, it sounds like your artistic explosion and your journey with self-acceptance are just so inextricably intertwined. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's probably the case with a lot of artists if we, if we admit it to ourselves or once we go on through that journey. Yeah, but I think it's hard to get there. It, no, it really absolutely hurt. Like, is. Like, and speaking, so many artists don't. Yeah, you're speaking like of, of like you've gone to a place that I was like, man, I really wish I could get there. That's my, my thought. <laughs> <laughs> like, who am I? That's my, that was my, my thought just now. Right. I'm also curious, how do you feel when you listen to your older work that came before all of that self-acceptance journey? I don't really like listening to my older work. I just hear every technical flaw, you know, possible. And I think that's something common with most artists. It's, yeah. So I don't I don't generally like to listen to my older work. And then sometimes, uh, you know, something will pop up on my shuffle that, you know, that I did 10 years ago. 
and it'll surprise me and, and it'll be like, wow, that's not as horrible as I thought it was going to be. Mm. And that's, you know, that's like the, the equivalent of finding a $20 bill in your pocket that you didn't <laughs> know you had. I'm like, oh, hey. Uh, so, so that's, you know, that's a pleasant surprise, uh, but it's not something I proactively seek out. And, and I, I'm fine with that kind of uncertainty in life, you know, not having to you know, I, f- I feel like I face enough demons every day where I don't need to go, you know, like, oh, well, let's let's see how, like, you know, you know, the crap that I did, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like, you know, sounds to me now. I need to face this to be stronger. <laughs> I'm like, sometimes you don't need to face that. Follow up question. How do you feel when other people listen to that work, if it's released publicly at all and let you know about it? I, I love that, actually. I, you know, that's. And you know, in my growth, I've I've learned to you know, to also accept that, you know, if I put it out there, it's for people to enjoy, and yeah. it's not up to me to uh, condition the enjoyment of anything that I put out there. To me, that is, it's a huge action of insecurity, and you know, you should always, op- of course, be you know, extremely proud of something that you put out there, and you know, you should take yourself to that point where like, okay, this is ready. But you're that specific person, that specific moment in life. And, you know, you're constantly changing. And 10 years ago, I was convinced that what I was putting out there was the absolute best that I could do. And, you know, you're not thinking about the future. Oh, but like, you know, the best work, you know, is yet to come. Uh, So it's there. It's for people to enjoy. And I mean, what what nicer thing is there than when somebody comes up to you and tells you, hey, I really love this thing that you did 10 years ago. Like, why would I ever see that as a negative? Mm. I'm like, that's, yeah. you know, like they're they're looking into a place where you were extremely proud of that moment. And they're coming up to you to tell you of something that you created that has moved them to that point. I don't see how that could ever be a negative. I had a question because we're talking about, you know, previous selves about your also because we're here at KUSC, a classical station. Mm-hmm. I want to ask about your, your training as a pianist mm-hmm. and your like conservatory life? So that all actually started with my grandfather, uh, Calasanz Alvarez, who uh, passed away at 102 years old last month in uh, June of 2018. And he, uh, since since a very early age, he, you know, he was the one that put music into my, uh, into my soul. Uh, he started teaching me piano at age four. I did my first recital actually at USC at age five. Uh, and that was because he worked at USC during that time. And he worked at USC in the mailroom for 30 years after having um, brought his, you know, his family uh, from Costa Rica, where they were living for a very long time. And he was faced with the option of working either as a janitor or in the mailroom after uh, they had turned him down uh, to be a music professor at USC. Even though he had all these credentials from, from Costa Rica, they told him, well, you need to take additional education to get to this point of accreditation to to be a professor here. And he was a man in his 40s. He's like, I need to put food on the table. You know, I don't have time to take classes, so, but I'm not a janitor. And they're like, well, he can work in the mailroom. And he loved it. He worked there for 30 years. And during that time, they knew that he was a musician. And they knew that, like, you know, he was teaching his little grandson to play piano. And they allowed him to bring his grandson, me, to do a recital. And I have photos of that somewhere. Uh, just oh, we have to see them. Imagine chubby little me in a little gray suit, uh, just, you know, just playing a playing for, you know, a room filled with people. And I remember being so terrified 
and like you know thinking back on that now like of course i'm incredibly grateful for the experience for the education but i was also you know i was i was a very very nervous child and because i picked up piano so easily it became just this source of terror and nightmares until one day i just rebelled and i think i was 11 and i and i told my entire family i don't want to do this anymore i'm I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate playing piano. And it was just, you know, I may as well have slapped my mother in the face with a baseball bat. And <laughs> I mean, it was really, really bad. Uh, and they, they just guilted me over and over for years about like, how I was going to regret it, that you're going to grow up and you're going to regret what you did, your decision. You're going to regret, 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 regret. I would just, you know, start taking it up um, on my own because I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed playing. I just didn't enjoy uh, my grandfather's iron fist. And not like physically. He never beat me. But it, he was very, very strict. Maybe since I was a kid, I always had a problem with discipline. I would I learned to play by ear. And he always tried to get me to read music. And I just didn't want to. And I would play the piece. And he's like, you're not reading the notes. I'm like, but I'm playing them, aren't I? And, you know, and <laughs> me like being like, you know, like extremely nervous but defiant kid. Like, you know, just... You know, I was defying him left and right until I said, like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore because I want to do it my own way. And I'm, you know, I want to play like, you know, songs that I want to play and my own songs. And, you know, what did I know at 11 years old? So my parents split up and my mom moves. Uh, my sister's in out of Costa Rica. And there is this very prestigious conservatory there, an arts conservatory. And they knew of my grandfather. And that's how I got in. Because my uh my entry audition was absolute garbage. It was, you know, I, I, I had like, I hadn't like, you know, just I hadn't properly practiced, and I was so terrified, and I just made tons of mistakes. And they told me, "Okay, you're getting in because of your grandfather. You're not getting in because of like you on your own end. merit." <laughs> yeah. So it's, so I was like, "Okay, whatever." And I, and and in that time, I, you know, I ended up just giving up music, and I went into theater, and I abandoned music like even more, and I took up like singing. I actually studied opera and. And I majored in theater. It was a school of the arts. So um, it wasn't until I returned to the States that I started uh, playing piano again. Yes, I do regret not having continued my education with my grandfather. I would have been, I feel like, an exceptional pianist. And he was to the very end. He played piano like well into like 102 years old. And I think it was like a month before he died that he stopped. But he would play every single night. Very, very shaky piano playing. But he would be like up at 3 in the morning playing his own compositions, playing classical pieces, uh, just playing and playing and playing his entire life. Did your grandfather ever get over the fact that you gave up piano? Um, I believe he did. I think he he eventually learned to accept that I wanted to pursue a career in music and arts. and uh, And he loved the fact that I was touring, that I was making a name for myself. Um, he didn't like my music. I remember the first time I played him, like my my, my first album, I, he he fell asleep. And that's Bolka. Bolka, yeah. And he he fell asleep, and he and then like you know, when it was over, he woke up and he's like, yeah, I, there was that one song that I liked, and it was like it, it was and I had played what was him. The song? It was so it wasn't even on the album itself, but it was part of like the demo CD that I played, and it was a version of a, of an old folk song called Blood Red River. Does that blood red river run from my back window to the right? 
like, no, no, that song is good. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't write that one. <laughs> and I remember going, I was like so, like my heart was like torn in half. And I remember like going into the bedroom and just weeping my eyes out. And I've been realizing that, you know, it was like, <laughs> it got to a point where I wanted to defy everyone and do my own thing. And all of a sudden I'm like seeking acceptance from the person that I was defying the entire time. And when he didn't give that to me, then, you know, I just felt that, you know, I felt that, well, you know, I just need to be doing more things that bring me happiness and that just do it for me. So, so it was always a complicated relationship with him. And especially because he was just such a jerk. Like he was so terrible to my mother and my grandmother, their entire lives. He was just awful, but he got increasingly worse with age, just you know, incredibly abusive, huge misogynist. Mm -hmm. And you know, that is very impactful. That is very impactful on how you love or don't love or appreciate or don't appreciate someone. And I would and I was always his favorite. And he would always tell everyone. He would tell my siblings that like I was his favorite. And he kept his entire life he kept a baby photo of me on the piano. That I was like, you know, his little prince and and that's who he saw every single time that I went to visit. Even when I went with my fiance at the time, like, you know, whom he didn't acknowledge, he always saw the boy. He always saw like the child prodigy and and I just, you know, I just saw a tyrant and I saw like, you know, the person that I had defied initially and now that I just absolutely just despised. And yet, you know, without him, I probably wouldn't be making music. So it's complicated, as Facebook would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, but there's there's life for you right there, though. We want to say that we love what we do uh, and that it comes from a good place and that our influences are, you know, are good because we are good people and yet, you know, we look at the history of classical music and it's just chock full of misogyny and it's chock full of racism. Um, and, it, you know, and yet, you know, you, you're incredibly moved by this music that, you know, many describe as being divine and just outside of the realm of, of human touch. And yet it's, you know, it's, it's the music of intolerance. It's the music of, you know, the marginalization of others. I wonder what our society now would be like if we had given, you know, if maybe not we, but like, you know, if, you know, if, you know, if centuries ago the, uh, the platform was given to women composers that we may never even know about it, never knew existed. And, and I think about that. I, 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 you know, I think about that, like we are influenced by, you know, by the works of men and that's all we know in a vast majority and and who are we you know as we form our own styles as we you know paint our own stories like you know who are we if that is what we've known and that is the beauty that we extract it's tough because you know you can't go back and you know change the perspectives and there's not enough documentation for us to truly know the horror and the you know the horrible oppression you know, within these, you know, creative worlds that have, that have culminated in, you know, fi you know, a genre of music that is inspiring to some and still oppressive to others and still, you know, holds many of us like, you know, but, you know, to this elitist standard that, you know, we fall short of slightly and we're shunned from the kingdom. So, you know, and what do we do with that? And I feel that that's just an aspect of who I've become that defiance that, well, you know, I played classical music, but I hate reading music. 
and I hate playing it the way it's, it's, it's written on the sheet. I like playing it the way I like playing it. And it should suffice that this is what brings me happiness. And I'm putting everything, every ounce of love and hope into what I'm playing. And I know where it's coming from. And if I can make a connection with people through this, then I feel that is a validating thing because I am, I am a queer brown person and I have no... I have no business even touching this realm of classical music. And yet I've taken what I've learned and I have created me. I love everything you said. And I'll I love that, that you I, took your... I would um, say you have the business to, to be doing it. Like, well, you, I mean, I, 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 say, sir, I say that sort of sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. I want to take another step into the past, but more recent past, mm -hmm. to your Rattle Rattle album. You that don't crack, you that don't break, you that don't shake, you that don't shake, you that don't lie. You that don't and with that, I know that you performed with an orchestra, you had an orchestra, you had a choir. One of my friends, actually, who is a listener of this show, Madeline Falcone, ah. was in um, the orchestra. I love Madeline. Shout, shout out, out to Madeline. <laughs> shout yes. out to Madeline. Shout out Madeline. Always shout out to Madeline. She's um, one of my favorite people. So Rattle Rattle, it's a collection of doomsday-themed songs. It's a concept album. Mm -hmm. And the musician, 60 musicians, 45 choirs, which you call the members, the difficult women. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how did you prepare your arrangements? Like, what was that process like? I don't remember how I did it. <laughs> I somehow did. I do. I've I've always felt very grateful to you know to be a part of a community of incredibly generous and talented artists who you know and certainly the ones that I worked with on Rattle Rattle had such faith in you know in in what I had to present and and in my invitation you know for them to be a part of this that I remember just just completely basking in that love and in that desire to create something that was, you know, as close to the happiness in my heart as I could, you know, as I could find, even though it's, you know, it's, you know, some may consider it, you know, a, a dark piece. And we're, you know, we talk about like doomsday and you talk about like end of the world and what enormous beauty, like, you know, is there like, you know, when you are at the brink of existence and you're in a room filled with people that you love and that's how, every recording session was you know we like you know there was a 45 member choir that i gathered in uh in an old bank vault like over in uh in south la and it was one of the hottest days of the summer and we we're all in there and you know it, it did feel at one point that we were like in this cult like just singing our hearts out and and, and you know and we took a break for pizza and i remember just looking around and being like oh my god this is happening. This is, and this is so beautiful, and everyone here is just giving it their all, and this is going to sound amazing. And I was so happy with the result. I think back on it now, and I'm like, I don't know if I, you know, if I can do that again anytime soon, because I do remember it was also incredibly hard work, and it was, you know, it was shifting, you know, shifting mindsets so much, um, because you know, on the one hand, you know, you're creating arrangements that, you know, they you know, in a way that you know how to do, but then you, when you're communicating them to 60 different people, you know, you, you, you learn different languages and you, you know, you adapt and that's how I felt. It was just, it was all communication. It was all these wonderful conversations and, 
And when the want is there from both sides, I feel anything can happen. And that's how I feel the entire thing was arranged. We just conversations. Was it all written out? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, whether it was all notes, that's a different story. But there was, there was very little like me going. It's like this. Ah, la, la, la. It's there were words. There were you know diagrams. There were, there were you know actual like you know just you know two people like you know sitting down and like you know, and, you know and going over notes and like you know just trying. So it, I mean, there's. I mean, it was all like it was all written out. Uh, Again, not in a way, you know, where like, okay, I made sheet music for everyone. Wow. Like, you know, everybody do this. But it was, it, it, again, it was all very, very purposeful. As and a musician, I'd love to see what those yeah, notes even like, looked like. Right. It, it, it's it, it's bonkers. I mean, I've I've gone through them recently and I... <laughs> can you can you show us some? Um, I could. I, I'd have oh to. They're, they're in a box right now because I, I threw a big chunk of them away simply because I feel that... You know, as with hot dogs, you don't really want to know how they're made, but, <laughs> but you will cram one into your mouth and just <laughs> let your imagination flow. Speaking of hot dogs, of hot I dogs. had the pleasure of actually seeing parts of Rattle Rattle performed live because my former band, Tommy Santa Claus, ah. used to cross paths with you a little bit on the L.A. scene and... That was like the one and only time that I've seen you perform, and it was incredible. You never Thank would have you. guessed that it was as you described. It was very cohesive to me oh, as an audience member. I, I have to give another shout out to shout Tommy. Out. Tommy, Tommy is amazing. Tommy is one of my favorite human beings on this planet, in this existence. I adore every movement that he makes, putting it lightly. <laughs> Shout out to the front person of the band I used to play with, yes. Tommy Santa Claus. So I was exploring your website and your various social medias, and I saw your most recent project, Paisa. Looks awesome. Can you tell us about that? So Paisa is the short film that we're currently working on, and it's taking a song from my latest album, Pala, and exploring the um, uh, something very common that I've experienced as a queer man. In the past, uh, many times, which is the um, the whole you know other community that people don't discuss very often uh, within you know our already marginalized communities, which is a community of men who are on the DL, um, who are married, you know, lead very heterosexual lives. And DL means down low. DL means down mm -hmm. low, and they find this you know this necessary joy necessary for them uh, in you know in sleeping with men. And it's all very hush-hush. and So the song is not even really a love song, but it's an acknowledgement to this particular type of man. And again, there's always been a very negative connotation to this. You know, it's something, I mean, they are like being deceitful to their partner and, you know, you should always be upfront and honest about things. But society has just made it impossible. It just, it, it's impossible for, for so many of us to really... Uh, fully embrace uh, how we are, our desires. And uh, and I try to find a joy in this particular situation with the, with the short film that we're working on. It's sort of a fevered dream about queer brown sensuality. 
even like you know in queer lives in you know in in queer sensuality there's any representation of it is something that is you know having to do with you know bodies that are you know widely acceptable by society uh genders that are widely acceptable by society and i just want to present something very very familiar to me and that i don't see as a negative and the dl aspect of you know of relations with men is is really only a part of it in the visual component of this but that is something that you know that does you know resonate with me and i and i feel that it's something that could really help further dismantle this you know incredibly damaging hypermasculinity that is you know has has really just done so much damage forever and if we can find the softness in men and welcome the softness in men encourage it teach it to our kids you know to be to be happy being uh, respectful and truthful with themselves then I, I I think our society could take a very dramatic and much needed turn for the best and I certainly want to present it with my work in general and certainly with the uh, bicep short film on tu alma de pétalo tu mente I saw that you are currently raising funds to complete this film, so um, <clears throat> we'll put a link to that in the show notes to the gun- GoFundMe. Donate, to, baby. Thank if, you so much. So, you know, if that's still live at the time you are listening to this. And now, a treat that can't be beat. Uh, Dorian is going to sing for us, and Chrysanthi has pulled out her violin, and they're going to do something completely here on the spot. What are we going to hear? I believe we're going to do a variation on my song, Espai, which is a Catalonian word for space. So we'll just follow each other? Sure. And I'll start on like an an E. I think that's a fantastic idea. Can't okay, wait. Here it goes. Let's go for it. No queda nadie two of us before we head to the lightning round we have to ask about your pet portraits you're an amazing (laughs) visual artist and we saw that you do these amazing portraits of animals of pets 
<laughs> How do tell us about that? They're incredible. I've you know I've been drawing for a very long time, and usually like you know if if you if you follow me on my Instagram, you'll see that mostly what I draw is like you know variation on on you know breasts coming out of penises, coming out of breasts, coming out of people's faces, and a combination <laughs> of all that. And uh, because I <laughs> because I'm, I will always be twelve years old, scrawling uh, boobies on the margins of my notebook. And that's all a variation on that. I remember we were running late. My husband and I were running late to our, our friend's uh, birthday party, and and I, you know, we hadn't bought a present, or I, ha- I hadn't bought a present for her. And he's, you know, and it was the night of the party, and I, and he's like, "Why don't you draw like something?" I'm like, "Okay." And she has, it, she, you know, she had at the time like this, you know, this uh, bull terrier, and she loved David Bowie. So I'm like, "Oh, I am going to try to do a portrait of this bull terrier as uh, Ziggy Stardust." I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to try it. And then when I did it, he's like, oh, my God, you just did this. I'm like, yeah, like four hours later, I did this. And it was my very first portrait. And I, you know, I, I gave it to her and she was absolutely thrilled. She had it framed and she's like, you know, you should start a business. I, I have done like like over 100 portraits at this point. It's 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 really taken off in a way that I never uh, ever, <laughs> ever imagined uh, I enjoy doing them I love animals, I love dogs I love my own dog I, I love the joy that people uh, come to me with you know, with their, with their pets and the ideas that they have and they're sharing photos of their pets with you I'm like what, what greater joy is there than that and then they're like you know I love my little like you know munchkin and I want you know my little munchkin to uh to you know, look like a Cleopatra, and I'm like, ah, uh, uh, yeah, I'm on board. I'm totally on board, and it's it's just fun. It's incredibly relaxing to do, and I enjoy doing them. And all right, and now it's time for the lightning round questions, where we ask each guest the same six questions each episode. First question: What genre is your music? Humorous. Cookies. Cookies. Yum. Performance ritual. Cookies. Oh, two cookies. <laughs> A modern slash technological tool that's extremely helpful to your practice. I won't say cookies. I will say uh, toilet. toilet. I love being on the toilet. Oh. A little more than most people should. I think we all do if we let ourselves admit it. Oh, God, this is such a great support group. Thank you. <laughs> um, a failure that turned out for the best. I've yet to find it. Mm. Mm. Something besides music that you're currently obsessed with right now. Oh, God. God. Hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, is it not cookies? No. I, <laughs> and I've always, you know, I've always been very, you know, very, you know, spiritual, as the kids these days say now, because religious is something awful. Spiritual. Um, I, you know, I've just bounced around for so long. And, and, and now, of course, as... People are more woke, and we start seeing, like, you know, the, uh, you know, how, you know, Catholicism has been just this suppressive tool for lots of, you know, for all brown people on this continent. Uh, you know, how do we embrace the goodness of that? And I had my doubts, and for a while I was just doubting, but, like, you know, I've been, I, you know, I've, I did like a complete, like, 360, and I realized, well, you know what? I believe in what I believe. I can't say that it's the, it's the, you know it's the perfect thing, but I also live in the most imperfect country in the world, and you know, and I'm just doing the best I can with what I've been given. So and so so re so reencountering God in my life has been a wonderful thing. So do you identify as Catholic then? No, 
I am identify as Christian. Okay. Which is, you know, it's 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 so different. Mm-hmm. A piece of art that changed your life. That would that would definitely have to be the song "The Look" by Roxette. I remember hearing that as just the pinnacle of pop music, and it's so abrasive to to our sophisticated ears now. Even people who love, you know, your uh, your Robins and your Kelly Clarksons, like it's 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 very difficult to listen to Roxette now for a lot of people, but I just hear perfection and it gave me hope in in incorporating melody even in the most sophisticated you know pieces of music. I don't know that piece, but now I really want to know it. Oh, honey. <laughs> awesome. As we wave goodbye to Dorian Wood, we're listening to his track Martillos. Don't worry, we're sticking around for a few more minutes to give you those old, new, borrowed, blue song recommendations. But in the meantime... You can find Dorian online at DorianWood.com, on Facebook.com slash DorianWoodMusic, or on Instagram at DorianWoodMusic. All this info is in the show notes, which you can view directly in your podcast app or at underscore.fm. And if you're currently on your phone, why don't you take a moment to join our closed Facebook group? It's called Underscore Society, and it's a great way to learn more about the artists, get sneak peeks of the guests, and connect with other listeners of the show. Bye-bye, Dorian. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right, it is now time to share our old, new, borrowed, blue music picks. And for old, Chris Anthe. I'm up. I have a piece called Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis. It is a string orchestra work by British composer Rafe Vaughn Williams from 1910. Let me just say, I was extremely depressed in college and spent a lot of my freshman year sitting alone in my room with headphones on, just playing this piece of music on repeat letting it inspire and move me because this piece it makes me feel spiritual and it invokes a sense of grandeur and transcendence something that i really needed to feel at the time And yes, this is what I wrote my college admission essays about, and it worked out well for me. So um, you are lesson, college educated. Um, but honestly, if if you're struggling or really need to feel something or need a dose of just something beautiful in this often cruel world, I highly recommend this piece of music. Yes, I think it's honestly one of my favorite pieces ever written. Um, I have something new. And I'm going with Michael Gordon's Clouded Yellow from Kronos Quartet's newest album of the same name. Michael Gordon is one of the founding members of Bang on a Can. Kronos Quartet um, is a string quartet specializing in the repertoire of living composers. The piece Clouded Yellow is a string quartet, and the title refers to the Clouded Yellow Butterfly, which is known in England for its mass migrations. Also, the term clouded in the piece refers to the harmonies and melodies, how they kind of swarm through the whole piece. 
check it out, listen right now. And you also have Borrowed. All right, Borrowed. My pick is Ligeti's Hungarian Rock. This is a piece for solo harpsichord, and the form of it is a Baroque chaconne, which is a variations over repeating bass line. And above that, there's Hungarian folk rhythms and melodies, and the rock element of the piece is this repeating bass line. So it's all kind of a send-up of rock music and folk music that's on a harpsichord. Old, new, new borrowed, borrowed, all in all one. All the same time. Wow. And I have Blue this week. My pick is a song called Blue Bird Story by DJ Okawari featuring Jumel. DJ Okawari is a Japanese DJ, producer, composer based in Japan. His style is really interesting. It mixes instrumental hip-hop, new jazz, and Japanese jazz, among other things. Piano is the main instrument that he uses in his music. What I find particularly charming about this song is the very beginning of it features an actual bluebird, like a bluebird chirping is just a sample that's dropped in. This song has like millions of plays on YouTube. Clearly a lot of people like this one, so check that out. As usual, all these links are in the show notes if you want to take another listen or add them to your playlists. And also in the show notes is the link to our Spotify playlist for this episode, which has all these songs already added on there. And that does it for today's episode of Underscore, where we explore the innovative music of artists who create beyond the boundaries of classical. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed our interview with Dorian Wood, please let us know on Instagram or Twitter at underscore FM or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash underscore FM, or better yet, join our closed Facebook group, Underscore Society. If you're still with us, please take a moment to rate or review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love all your reviews. They really help us. It's awesome. We have five so far. Yes, all your feedback really makes a difference. And if you don't have time to leave a review right now, we got it. But we'd truly appreciate if you could share this podcast with a friend who might be interested. As of now, we are growing completely through word of mouth. Once again, you've been listening to Underscore. I'm Chrysanthi Tan. I'm Thomas Kajif. And, and we'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.